Good morning. What a joy to be with you. Uh, I want to welcome those who are visiting us. Be very welcome. Please open your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Would you please stand for the reading of God's beautiful word? Starting verse 12 through verse 18. Philippians 2, starting verse 12. Oh, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or fought in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Oh, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all also should be glad and rejoice with me. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we, we beg your help. As the psalmist cried out, Lord, open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things out of your instruction, out of your Torah, your law. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. These are supernatural words that require supernatural work. So, we beg your help. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be clear. Help me to be a good and faithful slave. And the same for the congregation. Help all of us, Lord. All of us have responsibilities before you. Help everyone here to listen attentively, to listen carefully. So that you may be glorified, Lord. That's our desire today. That's our prayer. Is that you will be glorified, magnified, treasured in our hearts. We pray for other churches here in Salem. We pray that your sheep would hear your voice. That your under-shepherds would preach faithfully your word. That you'd save the lost. That you'd sanctify your people. Help us. Help us. Lord, there are many, many ugly, nasty birds trying to snatch the seed. So we pray 
We pray that you'd kill these birds and help your word grow deep in us and bear much fruit. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you ask most people what is the relationship between marriage and church, they're going to say none. That's how most people answer. What is the relationship between marriage and church? And for most people, there is no relationship whatsoever. And that shows the lack of biblical knowledge. Because according to the Bible, marriage was created by God. Do you know why? To point, to declare a greater covenantal relationship. The relationship between the greater Adam, Jesus, and his greater bride, the church. Marriage was created by God to reflect, to declare the glory of a God who loves to enter into covenant with His people and be faithful to His people. And there are many parallels in, in, in marriage life and in the church life. And I was thinking about marriage and, and you think about people when they're dating and engaged before the wedding, honeymoon, couples have unrealistic expectations. Amen? Unrealistic expectations. It's not long after the wedding. Sometimes, even during the honeymoon, the high and unrealistic expectations are faced with the harsh realities of life. There is a collision between the high, unrealistic expectations and reality of life. And when you have this collision, it leaves us open and vulnerable to frustration. Disappointment, temptation to sin. Sometime in your marriage or in any other relationship, you are faced with the reality of remaining sin in the, in the other person's life and in your own life. Right? And you have these high expectations. And suddenly you are faced with reality. There's a great book by Paul Tripp. Is What did you expect? When you put two sinners together. <laughs> or two saints with remaining sin in their lives. So how do you respond to two Disappointments. And you think about marriage, and you can develop that into the church life. At some point in our lives, when you are living in the community of the saints, 
we also are faced with the harsh reality of remaining sin in each one's lives. We see members coming here, new members especially, those who are aspiring membership, and it's just like the engagement or the honeymoon season is just, everything is so wonderful. And there is this joy, this desire to sacrifice and give more. But as the honeymoon season <laughs> comes to an end, and those high expectations are met with the harsh realities that people in the church are very similar to you. <laughs> we are also open to disappointments, frustrations. So it's not a question of if, but when you will be disappointed with the church. With church members. That's, that's, that's just reality. It's not if, but when. When you live in a relationship with other people, it's not a question of if, but when. And all those who have a relationship know that. Maybe a decision that the church leaders made. The way a member spoke to you. Or maybe because a member did not speak to you and you're expecting that member to speak to you. The lack of a phone call that you're expecting to receive. Or maybe the receiving of an email that you thought that was too intrusive and too personal. The place of meeting, the time of the meeting. And that can create disappointments, frustrations. And... Rightly so, I'm the main target of disappointments. Rightly so. I stand here every Sunday and Wednesday, I speak. As my flaws, my sins, my uh, limitations, and yours. Your sins, your flaws, your limitations. It's a wonderful recipe for disappointments. Disappointment in the church is bound to happen. But the question is, what do we do when that happens? What do we do? Disappointments, frustrations must be used in the life of the church not to divide us, but actually to sanctify us, to make us, to borrow the words of James, quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. So, how should church members respond when they feel unloved, when they feel unsupported? How should church leaders respond when they are criticized for being maybe too harsh, maybe too unloving? And that's what Paul has been doing here in Philippians. 
right? That if you, if, if you read Philippians, starting chapter 1, now chapter 2, we see that Paul is teaching us how to live a life in community with other Christians. And you remember, the main thing is to have the mindset of Christ. The mindset of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition and vainglory. No, 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 no. The opposite. Count others more significant than yourselves. But if that was not enough, now we come to verse 14 through 16. And Paul gives us a wonderful gift. That's God's gift to all of us. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. And I had thought about just move ahead. Because I, I talked about this a little bit last time we were in Philippians, two Sundays ago. But as I was reflecting upon these verses, I thought it would be good for us to bring our tents and camp here one more Sunday. I think that's a very special campground for us to dwell here for a little bit longer. I strongly believe that we as a church, if we pay attention to these words, if we embrace, if we study these words, if we engrave these words in our hearts, that we will save our church, it will save our church from much trouble, unnecessary trouble in the future. So, as we come to Philippians chapter 2, I just want to remind you, there's always a context. And the context is Paul's call to the church to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. The, 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 the church is supposed to reflect the reality of Christ and the Trinity in their lives by the way they behave. And that's what Paul is doing here. So, I'm not going to spend much time there, but here's the outline. And I, I want to focus especially in verses 14 through 16 today. We saw verses 12 and 13. Today I want to focus verse 14 through 16. And then next Lord's Day I'll wrap up and I want to talk more about Paul's use of the Old Testament here. So I need to save that for next Lord's Day. So let's just review briefly and quickly here. First of all, we see the call to obedience. And that's verse 12. Look at verse 12. Therefore. And now he's connecting the therefore with the preceding verses. The humiliation of Christ. The beauty of the Trinity. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. And remember, the obeying connects us to verse 8. Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient. So now, not only my presence, but much more in my absence. And here's how they are supposed to obey. Work out your own salvation. Or as we saw, fight, battle for the victory you guys have in Christ. With fear and trembling. The military language. And then he gives the grounds why he can call and why he must call them to fight and battle and work out their salvation. Look at that, verse 13. Because it's God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You must, you can't keep fighting because God, through His Spirit, is now dwelling within you, empowering you, sustaining you. And now verse 14. The specific area of obedience. Look at verse 14. How they are supposed to work out their salvation or to fight for their victory. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or arguing, the NIV has. That's amazing. Look at verse 13. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And people are prone to do what? All right, if God is the one working, what can I do but sit back and relax? Right? God is working. I don't need to work. If God is working, let go and let what? God. And what does Paul do? God is working you. And you must do what? Sit back and relax. Do all things without grumbling and arguing. There is no relaxation. The sovereignty of God never, never erases or denies the responsibility of man. They work together. They work together. And it might... Look at chapter 2 and you have the, the, the beautiful... The beautiful description of Christ in verses 5 through 11. You can see in your Bibles that beautiful description of Jesus. And you think that Paul would just wrap up the letter here and say, Glory be to God, and just finish. And yet, now he comes and he starts meddling with our personal lives. Isn't that amazing? He just talks about the exaltation of Jesus. Now he comes with that strong, exciting, oh, fight for the battle that you have, the victory in Christ. And suddenly he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Paul, what are you doing? That sounds so mundane, so superficial. You're talking to an army. And now we come and say, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Sounds like little children. Grumbling and arguing are two ferocious beasts that devour church unity. That's very important. Grumbling, murmuring, and arguing, complaining, you can make that just one beast with two heads that loves to devour church unity. The great enemy that the Philippians are facing is not outside the church. Where is the enemy? Within, inside the church. Grumbling, arguing, complaining. Dennis Johnson, he writes, The obedience that the Philippian 
Christians need to offer in the strength that God gives is patient and selfless contentment, which enables them to do all things without grumbling or questioning. Listen to this. Instead of each church member brooding over injuries to personal rights or reputation, each must focus on others' needs, just as Christ Himself has served them, and as they can see exemplified in Paul, Timothy, and their own Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. That's what he's doing. Now he gives examples to you of people who do all things without grumbling and complaining and placing the needs of others above themselves. So, do all things without grumbling. And I talked to you about this word, uh, gongusmos, the Greek word, gongusmos. It's an onomatopoeia. The, the word has a sound. Gongusmos. Gongusmos. There's the guttural sound. And as I said, even the, the, the saying of the word sounds like a murmuring, a, a grumbling gongusmos. Gongusmos. As I said, it sounds more like a disease also, right? Gongus moss. Uh, the idea is of a low tone of voice. Kind of, you have your hand over your mouth and the mumbling, the murmuring. So, you don't want everybody to hear, but you want some people to hear while you're grumbling and murmuring. Uh, one scholar says, the word means complain or displeasure expressed in murmuring or secret talk or whispering about someone. A kind of grumbling action that promotes ill will instead of harmony and goodwill. And you know when that's happening in the family, you know when that's happening at work, and you know when it's happening in the church. Is that Ill will talk behind the scenes, try to contaminate people by grumbling, murmuring. You go to other people and you start, have you seen that? Did you hear about that? And it's the grumbling, the murmuring. This attitude is self-centered. And it's never concerned with others or with the well-being of the group. It's always you. You are grumbling and murmuring because something, what? Did not make you happy. Did not satisfy you. Look at Proverbs. Proverbs says, Proverbs 16:28. I like how the NIV says, a perverse man. The ESV has a dishonest man. I think a perverse man carries the idea of being crooked. A perverse man spreads his strife. And then you have a whisperer, literally a murmurer or a grumbler, separates close friends. Murmuring, grumbling brings what? Division. Brings division. Think about the early church. The first threat, the first threat to the unity of the church 
in the days of the apostles, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the first threat to the unity of the church is in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember what happens in Acts chapter 6? There are two groups of widows. The Greek widows and the Hebrew widows. And the Greek widows are doing what? Grumbling. That's the same word. Murmuring. Because they don't think it's fair how the division of food is taking place. And what does the church do? It's so important and so dangerous, this grumbling, that all the apostles gather together and they decide, well, we need some people to help us with this. And then you have the election of the six deacons to help the apostles. That's how grumbling is serious and dangerous in the life of the church. And then the other word is arguing. Let's see if I have here. Arguing or disputing. And this context here carries the idea of a divisive actions, arguing for a selfish purpose, creating strife. There's no real concern. There's no real concern for the whole. It's all about you. What you think is right, what you think should take place for your own benefit. Arguing. An argumentative person. Always disputing. Quarreling. It's fascinating that according to Jesus, that's the first sin in the list of sins that come out of a sinful heart. So, for example, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says in verse 20, What comes out of a person is what defiles sin. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes what? And that's the Greek word, arguing, evil thoughts, evil reasoning, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, weakness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. Very similar to James chapter 4. And there are those who always want to murmur. There are those who always want to argue. They argue about everything. And they think it's cute. Always arguing. Always complaining. The style of music. The length of the preaching. The use of money. The setup of the church. The Bible version that we are using. And so many other reasons. And let me remind you that there is absolutely nothing beautiful, nothing attractive in being an argumentative person. Always arguing, mumbling, murmuring, grumbling. It's amazing that Jesus placed this sin right by sexual immorality, murder, adultery, coveting, sensuality, envy. Sometimes you are murmuring, grumbling, arguing. And you are praising the Lord that you are not as sinful as that drunkard laying down the sidewalk. And he actually, Jesus placed the sins right there. The grumbling, murmuring, arguing. 
Let us never think it's okay to grumble just a little bit. Murmur just for a little while. Or, as our society says, it's part of becoming old, right? So people are getting older, so as if there is an excuse to become an argumentative person. A grumbler. Oh, it's just the old age. Is that what the Bible says? So there is an excuse for you to be a, a grumbler, a murmurer, a complainer, just because you're getting old. But that's how most people think. Oh, that, he's just an old person. Now that's sin. They're horrible. They're heinous actions because devour relationships. Imagine an army. I was talking to Dan about that two Sundays ago. And the army, the, the grumblers, the murmurers, the complainers. You can destroy the unity of an army. If you're always grumbling, complaining about the commands, the officers over you. The expression grumbling and complaining actually comes from the Old Testament. And do you remember what happened to the first generation that left Egypt? Do you remember? Were they thankful? Were they trusting the Lord? Were they rejoicing the Lord? No. They were grumbling and complaining and arguing. Oh, the manna. The, no, no, just eat manna. Oh, I remember the onions. The melons in Egypt. They're always grumbling and arguing. Do you know what the Lord does to them? He kills all of them. Alright, you guys are not coming to the promised land. Paul says, and he's using the Old Testament to help the church. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. And then most people are like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not an idolater. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor, what? Grumble. Murmuring. As some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So God hates grumbling, complaining, murmuring. Do you know why? Because when you are grumbling, murmuring, and complaining, you are stating that God is not kind enough, God's not wise enough, God's not sovereign enough, God's not gracious enough. Right? Oh, but I'm just grumbling about the circumstances. Ultimately, who is in charge? Murmuring and arguing is a way of saying that God's, God is not wise, powerful, gracious enough to provide for what you need at that, that, at that time. Destroys the unity of the church, the unity that Jesus bought with His own blood. So that's why Paul says, do all things, all things, without grumbling and arguing. See, it's not enough just to do things. It's not just enough to be obedient and be doing things. 
their heart matters the most. Do all things without grumbling and arguing. Because you can be doing things to the Lord and actually be what? Grumbling, arguing, complaining that you are doing those things. You can be helping the church doing setup, preaching, doing music, helping the finances, greeting people, giving, and yet be doing what? Grumbling, complaining, murmuring. Peter says that you can be practicing the most glorious hospitality. You can have your house all clean, providing the most delicious, yummy food, and yet be doing what in your heart? Grumbling, murmuring. That once again, you are the one receiving people in your home. Why doesn't anybody else do that? Why are they coming to my house? It's fascinating that the Bible commands us to rejoice with, with those who are rejoicing, to mourn with those who are mourning. But have you ever seen the Bible grumble with those who are grumbling? Murmur with those who are murmuring? Argue with those who are arguing? Isn't that fascinating? We never see that. Actually, the opposite. Depart from the grumbler. Depart from the murmurer. Murmuring, complaining, arguing, it's contagious. It's an infectious disease. You walk with a grumbler and suddenly you are grumbling. Walk with a person who is always arguing about everything and suddenly you become argumentative also. That's what happened to Moses. Suddenly he is grumbling and murmuring. And what does the Lord do? You too will not enter the promised land. So there is absolutely nothing virtuous, beautiful, noble, edifying about having a critical spirit. I just have a critical spirit. God gifted me with this spirit of criticism and, and arguing. No, this type of behavior must be put to death. And Paul gives reasons why. The reason for this command, this call to obedience. Look at that. Verse 15 and 16. And you can see how Paul uses some words here to, to show us the reason. So, in verse 15, he begins with that or so that. And then look in verse 16, in order that. So, Paul actually gives a twofold reason for why Christians must do all things without grumbling and complaining. One is evangelistic, so there is a missionary purpose, and then there is a pastoral purpose. Today we're going to look at the missionary or the evangelistic purpose. So he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Blameless carries the idea of free of accusation or blame. It's not about perfection. 
or being sinless. Nobody could be sinless. So that's not what Paul is calling here. But lives free from anything blameworthy. That's the same word used in chapter 3, verse 6, when Paul says that according to the law, he was blameless. And when you go to the Old Testament, to be blameless carries an idea of covenantal faithfulness. You are striving to be faithful to the Lord. So remember Abraham, there is the covenant with Abraham and the Lord says, Walk before me and be blameless. Meaning, be faithful to my covenant. Be faithful to the Lord. And also innocent. So that you may be blameless and innocent. The idea here of innocent is no mixed motives, no mixed motivations. There must be a purity of desire to glorify God through humility of mind. And then he says, he continues, he says, Children of God, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Children of God? Yes. You know why? Because the children reflect the character of their parents. So, as Christians, we are to reflect the character of whom? Our God. Paul is saying that the purpose of striving for unity by doing all things without grumbling and arguing is to show, to manifest to the world the beautiful character of our God. That's what Paul is saying here. We have a beautiful Father. We have a wonderful, a glorious, a lovely Father. And we are to reflect that to the world. By grumbling and complaining, you are not reflecting anything beautiful about God. And you see there, because uh, I think the NIV says, so that you may become blameless and innocent children of God. And some people think that by being blameless and innocent, you become children of God. As if, if you are doing these things, you become. That's not what the text is saying. He's saying because you are already children of God, now you must reflect the character of this God to whom you belong. But we know that, that there is absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves children of God. So that's not what Paul is saying here. And I was thinking about adoption. Have you ever seen a child choosing his parent for adoption. You don't see that. It's always the parents who choose the children. It's always the father who chooses the child to be adopted. And the same in the Scriptures. So, for example, in 1 John 3, 1, he says, See, behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us. See, the Father gave us this love that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Or First John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So it's because you were born of God that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. So it's because we are children of a blameless and pure God that we can reflect His character 
to the world. And God is so loving, so patient. You never see the persons of the Godhead grumbling and arguing, murmuring and complaining with one another. Do you ever see the Father complaining about the Son? Do you ever see the Son grumbling about the Spirit? Have you ever seen that in the Bible? Jesus murmuring and grumbling because of the Father. Do you see the Father ever complaining about the Son? That's why it's vital for Christians to show the character of our God. Our triune God does not murmur, grumble, and argue. Actually, Satan is famous for grumbling, murmuring, arguing, dissatisfaction. And the children of the devil are notable for their murmuring, grumbling, and complaining. So if you look at our society, our society is marked by what? Grumbling, complaining, murmuring about everything. That's how our society is. And they reflect their paternity in Satan. So Paul says that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God. And look how he says, without blemish. Or if you have the NAS, he says, above reproach. And that word was used in the Old Testament for the sacrificial animals. And if you remember, the sacrificial animals had to be without blemish. They could not have a, a broken leg. They could not come without an ear. Something that was very visible. The Merriam-Webster, our English dictionary, says, Blemish, they define blemish as a noticeable imperfection, especially one that seriously impairs appearance. That's, that, that helps us understand the word blemish. Let me try to illustrate that. Imagine the wedding day. And the bride has that beautiful white dress. But in the back of the dress, there is this big, brown, greasy spot that she didn't see that was in the seat of the car. And as she laid her back against the car seat, she got the greasy brown spot in her beautiful white dress. Let me tell you, when she's standing before the congregation, all the eyes are not in her beautiful hair, her beautiful makeup, or even the, the great majority of the wedding dress, the whiteness of the wedding dress. But where, is, where are the eyes? In that greasy brown spot. We are prone, we are prone to think that blemish is something big like adultery, drunkenness, cursing, slavery to pornography, gluttony, murder, witchcraft, gambling. They are all massive blemish spots. But look at what the Bible says. It places murmuring, grumbling, and complaining 
just as a visible, ugly spot in the church as any other sin. Murmuring, grumbling, complaining is an awful, atrocious blemish that catches the eyes of the world. You grumble just like anybody else. You murmur, complain, argue just like the rest of the world. So, brothers and sisters, do not cultivate. Do not cultivate murmuring, grumbling, arguing. There is nothing to you. And if, and if a brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, mm, that smells like grumbling and murmuring and arguing. Don't go murmur and grumble about that person. Or argue with that person. But take it to heart. And remember, that's a heinous sin. It's a heinous sin. Destroys the unity. So he says, do all things, do all things without grumbling, murmuring, disputing, arguing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's how Paul and the Bible defines our society. Twisted, crooked. The word crooked comes from the Old Testament and was related to a path that was not straight, meaning they cannot walk uprightly on God's paths. Twisted speaks of something that departed from the standard, became perverted. Like the twisting and crooked serpent, our world hates our God who is upright. And his upright standards. Just like a drunk person. And you ask that person to walk on a straight path. Can that drunk person walk on a straight path? By no means. And look at Jesus says through Paul. That we are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's where the church is. In the midst. The church is not to be removed building monasteries, and the church is not to adopt and be molded by the sinful generation, but it's supposed to be in the midst of the sinful society reflecting the gospel to those people. That's what Paul says here. And you see that there is a connection between verse 14 and 15, and murmuring, grumbling, complaining is the mark of this perverted society, this perverted generation. So Paul says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. There is debate among the scholars, is that holding fast or it's holding forth? And if you're holding fast to the gospel, there is no way that this gospel will not, will not be held forth. So, if, you're, if you hold fast to a a spotlight, that spotlight will shine through the darkness. So you see, the, that, that's, 
very important here, brothers and sisters, because you can see that just example is not enough. The example of the church is very important. It's crucial. But there must be the preaching, the holding forth of the gospel, the word of life. To declare why you are living like that. And it's because of Christ. Look at how Paul says the word of life. The word of life. It comes from the living one, Jesus. It's about the living one, Jesus. He's the author of life. And He has the power to bring dead people to life. That's why it's called the word of life. Nothing else can bring life to dead people, to dead souls. Only the gospel of Jesus. Only the word of life. And that's why everything we do in this church, we do grounded, centered, and proclaiming the word of life. Because only the word of life can bring life to dead souls. And only the word of life can keep giving life to those who are alive in Christ. It's sad when churches, it's heartbreak when churches suddenly put the preaching of the scriptures aside. Suddenly you see that congregation dying. There is no longer word of life sustaining, giving life to that congregation. So, brothers and sisters, our world, our society is getting darker and darker. Am I lying? <laughs> it's getting darker and darker. And we as a church have the great privilege of shining more and more as things get darker and darker. We behold things getting uglier and uglier, less and less righteousness, more and more hostility towards Christians. So let us be found shining the light of the gospel by living lives That do all things without grumbling and arguing. You see, complaining seems to be the American way of life. Most conversations are about complaining. Complaining about the government. Murmuring about the economy. Complaining about taxes. People argue and complain even about the weather. And then you come to church. And sadly, many Christians resemble that. Complaining about the sermon, too long, too dry, too pointed, too short. Complains about the congregation, too large, too cold, too small, too emotional, too impersonal. And people come to you with murmurings and complaints. That's part of our lives in this dark society. People will come to you complaining on what are you supposed to do? Join your voices, arguing and mumbling, complaining and murmuring? No. You need to turn that conversation into giving thanks to the Lord. In praising the Lord. Do not join your voices in grumbling, murmuring, complaining, arguing. I have a solution. And the solution comes from the Word of God. And it says, ref Reflect about hell. 
Think about hell. You know the problem with most Christians? We stop thinking about hell. We stop thinking and reflecting about the truth that we deserve hell. We deserve God's righteous wrath upon us. From the moment you keep, just like Jonathan Edwards said, Jonathan Edwards said, resolve to think about heaven and hell every day of my life. Because when you think that you deserve hell, anything that you're living right now is a blessing from God. As soon as you depart from remembering that you should be in hell under God's wrath because of your sins against Him, as soon as you depart from there, you will start grumbling, arguing, complaining, murmuring. Spurgeon said, As long as a man is alive and out of hell, he cannot have any cause to complain. Do all things, all things, without grumbling or disputing. Let me ask you, what is the opposite of grumbling and arguing and complaining and murmuring? What is the opposite of that? Praise. What else? Thanksgiving. Encouragement. Contentment. Joy. Rejoicing. And that's exactly what we see in verses 17 through 18. Look at there. Chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. Paul is in jail. He has the death sentence over his head. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He can be had, he can be beheaded any moment. He's being hindered from doing what he loves the most. Traveling, preaching the gospel. He's being prevented from being with other Christians. And what is Paul doing? Look at verse 17 and 18. And I rejoice. And I commend you, he says, to join me, not in grumbling, murmuring, complaining, arguing. I'm so angry with you, God. Why am I here? Murmuring against the soldiers. No. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Giving thanks to the Lord. Let me ask the parents here. Have you been teaching? Have you been teaching through your life and through your instruction your children to do all things without grumbling or arguing or whining? Some parents think it's cute for kids to whine. That's not cute. Do not cultivate that in your kid's life. That's heinous. There was a, a, a song we, we used to play at home a lot. By, uh, is that Steve Green? Do everything without complaining, without complaining, without arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. So we play that all the time at home. Remind the children. It's not about just doing, because you can be doing, you can be sweeping. You can be cleaning, and yet be murmuring, complaining, arguing. And that's not what the Lord wants. So, let us train ourselves 
Nothing, nothing from selfishness, nothing from vainglory. Instead, all things without grumbling, murmuring, arguing, complaining. All things, all things, not some things, not most of the things, all things. At all times, in all circumstances, all things at home, all things at work. Man, at work people will come to you to grumble, to complain about your boss, about somebody else. No, 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 no. At school, complaining, arguing, murmuring against the teacher. All things. Primarily, Paul is talking about the church here. All things in our marriages, in our friendships, parenting, ministry. All things in the midst of all circumstances, in the midst of pain, suffering, all types of sickness and hardships. No gongus moss, no grumbling, no murmuring. How about your social media? Does it reflect a, a heart that's thankful to the Lord or always grumbling, murmuring, complaining, argumentative about everything? Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that you bear the name of Christ and you bear the name of this church if you're a member of here. If people see you at grocery stores, at your social media, them all murmuring, complaining, arguing, that reflects us. Oh, why would I go to... Abby's church, she's always murmuring and grumbling and complaining. That's probably a church just like the rest of the world, of grumblers and murmurers. So let us, let us, all of us, be attentive. Put to death, murmuring, grumbling. Now look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it's God who works in you all. He's talking to the church. It's God working in you, in this church. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So let me ask you, do you believe verse 13? Do you believe in verse 13 that God is working in us as a church? I hope so. <laughs> so if we believe that God is working in us, why would we murmur and grumble and complain and argue when things come the way we are not expecting or desiring? That means what? Now, I don't believe that God is actually working. So, when we obey verse 14, do all things without grumbling, murmuring, complaining, we adorn the gospel, we enhance the beauty of the gospel, we garnish the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark and ugly world. They can see a group of people they rejoice. They're not murmuring. They're not grumbling. They're not arguing just like the rest of us. It's a beautiful thing when people know you are a Christian because of your joy, because of your gratitude, 
I never see you grumbling and murmuring and complaining and arguing. That's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful when a church faces different challenges and the members show joy, contentment, instead of murmuring and grumbling. It's a glorious testimony to the world. So, when we face the disappointments, remember how I started the sermon? The marriage, moving to the church. We will face disappointments. How are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to respond? Do all things without grumbling, murmuring, and arguing. And I, I, I praise the Lord for the members of this church. I'm being completely honest here. I, I'm so thankful for how this church has gone through so much. And the great majority of the members remain rejoicing the Lord, giving praise to the Lord. We don't hear of grumbling and murmuring and complaining behind the, the curtains. That's a beautiful thing. But I also pray every single day, I pray for us. Because we know the sinfulness that remain in us. And I know that we must always excel in the grace of putting to death grumbling, murmuring, and arguing and complaining. So we must be praying, we must be watching and praying every single day. Lord, let's put to death this grumbling, this murmuring, this complaining that destroys the unity. That's, a, that's an affront to you. It's, it's saying that you don't care enough, that you are not sovereign enough, that you are not working in us enough. And as we do that, as we become more and more blameless, innocent, without that blemish, more and more shine the light of the gospel to this dark world, and more and more people fall on their knees and confess Jesus as Lord for the glory of God the Father. That's our desire. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank you that you confront us. You always confront us and demolish us. It's good for us to be destroyed in order to be rebuilt with your grace and your mercy. Thank you for piercing our hearts with your word. We, we ask you to forgive us. So many times, the desire, the temptation, and we fall in that temptation and we grumble and argue and complain. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us from this type of lifestyle. Help us to see the ugliness of a heart that grumbles and murmurs and complains. Was our grumbling and murmuring that placed Jesus on that cross? So help us, Lord. Help us to become a church more and more that is marked by thankfulness, by joy, rejoicing in You, contentment. 
Lord, when people find out that we are from Gracious Cross Reformed Church, I pray that they would find out that through the thanksgiving, through the rejoicing, through the gratitude that's in our hearts, Lord. So instead of grumbling and arguing and murmuring, help us. Help us to fight for our victory with fear and trembling. Giving thanks to You, Lord. Help us to think about hell more often. In order to give You thanks more often. And be less prone to murmur and grumble and complain. Lord, for those who do not know You today, I pray that You'd draw them to the cross. Help them to run to Jesus and find the Savior that they need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.